Okay. Um, so this first part that, you know, the, before I get into the actual scripture, I'm going to tell you a fictitious story, okay? Imagine for me a little two-year-old toddler that we're going to call Robbie. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, this is nobody, this is nobody that I know. It's just a fictitious person, right? Um, and imagine, imagine that um, this person, uh, little guy, right? Cute as a button, cuter than most kids, very curious, probably more curious than most little children. Um, and he looks up against the wall at our house. I mean, at somebody's house. And, you know, and he sees the, 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 the sockets, right? He sees the sockets in there. See, now, his mother and I, in this fictitious story, um, we're not dumb, right? I mean, he's our third child. I mean, okay, it's Robbie, okay? We're talking about Robbie. He's our third child. We have those little plugger things, right, that keeps, you know, that, that covers up the, the, the deal, right, the little thing. Um, and, you know, Robbie, he's little, and he sees it, and he goes up to it, and he starts to, you know, he wants to take it out. He wants to undo it. He wants to stick his finger in there, right? I mean, he, he's actually trying to kill himself, right? <laughs> oh, no. So Steph and I, right, I mean, we're going to go up to him and, okay, Robbie, don't do that, right? And we're going to, you know, I mean, and we might even after a while spank him in the hand, you know, whatever, you know. But what we don't do is this, right? I mean, like, we, we don't just kind of say, Robbie, don't do that, and let him keep looking at it. Because if he just keeps looking at it, he's two. What's he going to do? Okay. <laughs> What's he going to do? He's going to keep messing with it, right? I mean, we're, he's going to keep messing with it. What we're going to do is we're going to literally, we, we have to take Robbie and we literally turn him around and walk him to his toys, right? We walk him to something else that's more interesting than death. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Now, notice this. What we also didn't do is this. When we walked Robbie away from the death, right, did we walk him backwards away from it toward his toys? No, because as soon as we let him go, where's he going? Straight back to the death, right? He's going straight back to the wall socket. We turned him, right? We worked hard to keep Robbie from seriously damaging himself, right? <laughs> and and look, he's he's here, he's almost completely normal. I mean I mean undamaged, right? Anyway. That story does have a point, you know, and you'll 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 get it here in a second. We're talking about repentance. Um, the passage we're gonna read is from 2 Corinthians 7. Um, and Paul is writing his second letter to the Corinthians at this point. Um, if you know anything about 1 Corinthians, he is rebuking them just a little bit. Actually, he's rebuking them quite a bit. Um, they were doing a lot of things wrong, sinful even. Um, and he talks about what repentance and what true repentance actually means and what true repentance, do, true repentance does, right? So anyway, let me read you the, the verse here. Um, the verse is 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. Even as like this is Paul talk, this is Paul talking. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, this is his second letter to them. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, he's talking about his first letter. I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. 
For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern. Let me pray. That's God's word. Dear Holy Father, I thank you for these words from Paul. Um, I thank you for the Corinthians that uh, they did repent. Um, I pray that uh, we would all recognize the uh, benefit and the need for all of us to repent regularly um, for the things that we do. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first of all, the word repentance sounds fairly simple. Uh, most people in the world would say that the word repentance is a synonym for the word sorry, right? If you're repentant, you're sorry, right? Uh, While the service of that word might sound synonymous, the implications and lasting effects are quite different. Here's what I mean. The world's idea of repentance simply means to be sorry for something that you did. The dictionary definition is a little bit more robust, Uh, and it is sincere regret or remorse, right? You're sincerely, you regret it, and you're sorry that you did it, right? That's what repentance means in the dictionary. The biblical definition of repentance means a lot more than that. The biblical definition is not simply being sorry or upset or even deeply wishing something hadn't happened. It's a complete change in the way you think and act after you repent. Right? It's, you will notice somebody has repented after. Here's what the definition is not. Okay, so I'm make it a little more clear. The definition of repentance is not wishing you had not gotten into trouble. Okay, that's not that's not repentance at all. It is not even really being sorry for what you did. That is not repentance. It's also not groveling before God and punishing yourself. For what you've done, called penance, right? You're going to do some sort of penance, which, which is a, which is a, it's a Catholic thing. It's a, it's more than that. I mean, it's, it's a Christian thing. Some people still do this, um, where you try to kind of atone for your sins by punishing yourself or denying yourself some things, you know, because you want to make your, you want to show your sincerity to God that you really meant it, right? That you're really, you know, so you're going to hurt yourself in some way, or you're going to deny yourself some things that, you know. You ever, you ever heard of a penitent knight, right? Ever seen a knight back in the, during the Crusades? You know, I'm a history teacher, right? Uh, these guys would, they, they understood that they were sinful, and so they would, as part of their religion, they would give themselves penance, you know, and they would literally take a whip, and they would whip themselves, I mean, until they bled. They might cut themselves. They might do things, because this was their way of, 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 of being sorry, They would punish themselves for their sins. Anything like this is simply taking away from what Christ did on the cross, right? Christ did it all so that we wouldn't have to suffer for our sins. There are consequences for our sins, but we do not need to prove our sincerity to God by hurting ourselves. So what is the definition, the true definition of repentance. 
Here it is. True repentance, and I mean, I hope you've heard this lot. If you've been to this church enough, you know what this is. True repentance involves a heartfelt conviction of sin. It's a contrition over the offense. More importantly, though, it's a turning away from the sinful way of life. And most importantly, a turning towards Christ. Turn away from sin, turn towards Christ. I know I've heard Luke mention that lots of times. The Greek word in the New Testament for repentance is menatoia, which literally means to change your mind and think differently. True repentance means that you turn away from sin and towards Christ. It's a complete 180. You are turning away from the sin. Listen, when Steph and I corrected that fictitious person, Robbie, right? Um, we didn't just chastise him. We turned him away from the socket and towards his toys. What would have happened if Robbie had walked backwards, right? We know, I, I mentioned this. We all know he's going to go right back to the deal, right? I mean, if, you, if you're if you sorry for your, you, 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 you're, you're, you're doing something wrong on the internet, right? You're, or you're, this, this thing makes you mad all the time, right? Or whatever, and you... You, 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 you say you're repentant, and yet you just keep facing it. You keep, you keep it in front of you. You keep this sinful thing in front of you. That's, that, that's, that's no good, right? That's no good. You're not going to stop doing it. Repentance is a turning away from sin and towards Christ. Face Christ, not what tempts you to sin. Get that out of your sight. Get it out of your way. Right? Now, does this mean that once we commit a sin and repent, that we will never, ever do it again? Do you think Robbie ever went back to that stupid socket? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, he did. You know, he, he... Hopefully, you won't do it again, but that's not the point. What is your intention? What's your inclination? What is your bent? Which way are you facing? Are you contrite over your offense? And understand that your sin is an affront to God? Are you turning away from the sin and towards God? It's not that you never do it again. That is the hope. But it's what is your what are you are you are you turning towards Christ? Are you looking to him? Are you asking him to keep your eyes on him? Now I do want to caution you about this. What what if you're a true believer and there are some things that you don't repent of perfectly? Does that make you not a true believer? To coin a phrase from Paul, may it never be. Your standing before God is not what you do or don't do. It's not how effective you were at repenting of each of these sins. Christ died for all of his children's sins. All of them. Even the ones we don't repent of. The longer I've been a Christian, the more I realize how sinful I am. 20 years ago, I was not aware that I was sinning as much as I do regularly. Does that mean that if I had died 10 years ago without repenting of the sins that I was not aware of, that I would go to hell because I was not truly a believer? Absolutely not. Christ died for all of my sins, even the ones I either don't or haven't repented of. As a Christian, we're called to repentance. 
We should be recalibrating constantly when we become aware of our sins. What does that mean we should be recalibrating? We should be constantly turning, right? I mean, like we should be turning away. We should be turning towards Christ, right? When we notice that we're off the path, if you're in my, if you're in my Sunday school class, you'll see Christian, there's a few times he gets off the path and he has to get back on the path, right? It's a constant recalibration. You want to get back to the straight and narrow. You want to get back to, it's, it's the Christian's life, right? There is ups and downs in the sanctification process. You're constantly repenting. You're constantly recalibrating. It's part of the makeup of how a Christian lives. We should not be so prideful to think that we are above repentance. We are not. It's a part of our life. It's what we do all the time. Now we get to the next point in your outline. Here's some examples of repentance in the Bible. Okay, there's lots of examples of repentance in the Bible, but here are three that I chose. The first one is the Corinthians, the one I just read to you about. Some of the issues that Paul admonished the Corinthians in his first letter to them, some of them, these are just some of them that I just rattled off here. Um, you know, Paul had a problem with them because they were jealous. There was strife amongst the church. There was sexual immorality in the church. There was arrogance in the church. These people were worried about bragging about who converted them. Right? Was it Paul? Was it Apollos? You know, they were like, they had their own little sex of like, oh, you know, I mean, they were, they were, they had lawsuits against each other. They were excluding the poor people from their communions, their meals. And at these communion meals, some of the people were getting drunk off of the communion wine. I mean, like, it's insane. I mean, they were a mess. They were a mess. And like I said, this was some of the things that Paul had against them. A huge part of Paul's letter to the Corinthians was a complete bashing of them for their utter disregard for what they had been taught. How did they respond to the rebuke of their sinful practices? I ask you, how would most groups in today's world, if a group of people who are hanging out, doing their thing, if somebody was to come up and rebuke them and say, what you're doing, all here's these 28 things that you've done wrong, how, what are most groups going to do? How are they going to react? They're going to flip us the bird, right? I mean, they're going to go, you are dumb. You know, like they are going to, they are, they are, they're going to not care at all. How did these, how did the, how did the Corinthians react? In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul is, uh, is sad that he knew that they were upset with his rebuke, but he says he doesn't regret it. Listen again. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. When they, were, they, when they, hurt, when they got rebuked, they felt it. They were they 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 took it, and they're like they look inward. They they oh, you're right. We are doing this, and they recalibrated, and they turned to Christ. They repented. Praise God, right? The the important phrases here is godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Worldly sorrow, in other words, just being sorry, leads to Come on, help me out. Leads to death, right? It leads to death. They had a multitude of sins. Paul called them on it. They turned from their sins. 
They repented. And they're good. Right? They're back on the path. The next example is David and Bathsheba. You know the story. But do you all know how the story starts? When Samuel tells the story, the the, the story starts 2 Samuel 11.1. In the spring of that year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, somebody else, and his servants with him and all of Israel, but David remained in Jerusalem. I think it was an important point that, that, that Samuel mentioned that, that David was not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Right? As a king, he's supposed to be out at war, but he's doing this. And then next thing you know, what happens next? Is he's, at, he's on his rooftop, and he sees Bathsheba, and this whole thing starts. Right, The whole concept. If he had been where he was, doing what he was supposed to be doing, he never. this doesn't happen. Right? He sees Bathsheba. He, he, he has to have her. He finds out who she is. He, get, he, he finds out that she's married. He takes her anyway. He gets her pregnant. Now he's going to try and cover up this unbelievable sin. I mean, he is supposed to be, he is God's servant, right? He's the, he's the king. He's the, and he's going to now cover it up. He tries to get Uriah to, 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 have, you know, to, to make a baby with Bathsheba, to trick, to trick everybody into thinking that this baby is not David's, right? And, and then it doesn't work. And then he tries to kill. He doesn't try to kill. He has Uriah murdered, right? I mean, this... <laughs> this is David, right? He has done some atrocious things. He has Uriah murdered. Nathan eventually comes up and calls him on it, right? He, you know the story, right? I mean, he, he calls him, he, he, he gets David's attention, calls him on it, and what does David do? David is the king of Israel. What could have been his response? What would have been most of the king of Israel's, I mean, I'm not talking about, David and Solomon, but after that, most of the kings of Israel's would have <laughs> laughed and said, I don't care, and probably killed the, the, the prophet, right? Um, but what did David do? Do you, do you remember? What did he do? He instantly was repentant, right? He was instantly repentant. How did David respond when he was confronted with this agrarious sin? Did he despair that his sin was unforgivable? Did he become useless to a point where God couldn't use him anymore? Did he get angry and prideful? David had been going down this path for a long time, right? This was not a one quick, like, oh, he cursed, you know, he swore at his... At his, at his family, right? This is not just, a, oh, he got angry. Oh, he did one thing wrong. This sin lasted months. When he was called out on it by Nathan, he immediately repented. He admitted what he had done and was told the consequences, what the consequences would be. Do you remember what the consequence was? Once he, the consequence was that his unborn child, the child that is now inside of Bathsheba, would die soon after it was born. David prayed and for the next seven days was consumed with prayer. The Bible says that he sought God, right? He was just praying, asking God to, 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 you know, don't do this. 
David was very sorry for what he did. He asked God to spare his son. For seven days he fasted. He didn't eat for seven days. He laid on the ground. He wouldn't get up. I'm sure that he pleaded with God, begging him even. His son died on that seventh day. How did David respond to the consequence? After being told, do you you guys know? After he was told that his son had died, he got up, he changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. David could have been upset or even mad at God. Wouldn't that have been a very human thing to do, right? I mean, like, he could have gotten up and been really like, I begged you to save my son, and you killed him anyway. I mean, he could have... He could have been so upset. David also could have broken as a result of his son's death. He could have starved himself. He could have hurt himself. He could have pouted. But he didn't. Here's the deal. You know why he didn't? Because he had already repented. He had already repented. He had already turned. When he was calling up by Nathan, where did he turn? He turned and faced God. Right? Right? And for seven days he was talking to God. For seven days he was consumed with this. And he had already repented. He's now facing God. He had turned from his sin and was facing God. And when the consequence came to fruition, he was okay with it because he's facing God. If he was still facing man, if he was still facing his sin, if he was still facing the world, then he might have gotten upset. He might have gotten mad. Right? He might have been, you know, been out of shape. He might have pouted. He might have starved himself. He might have, you know, but he didn't because he had he had repented and turned and faced God. Here's what David wrote, writes in Psalm 32, a very famous psalm. David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David got it. He was facing God. He, he believed God. He was, he was in tune with him. And when he faced God, he was right with him. David loved God. He repented of his sins. He accepted the consequence of his sins, and he continued to love God. He relied on God. He worshiped God continuously. Right? All these things happen when you're facing Christ, when you're facing God. The final people we're going to talk about here is Peter and Judas. You know both these people. They're one's famous and one's infamous. Right? Both of these people sinned against Jesus near the end of Christ's life. Yes? Both did. They both sinned against him. Peter, to save his own skin, three different times when he's out there near where Jesus is being crucified, somebody says, aren't you one of those? Aren't you one of his? Aren't you one of Jesus'? And no, no, not me. Right? Three times he did that. He denied him. He denied even being an apostle. He denied, I don't even know him. Leave me alone. Judas was with Jesus the same amount of time. They were both his disciples for three straight years. Judas 
betrayed Jesus by turning him over for 30 pieces of silver, right? He, he had him arrested. He, he pointed Jesus out. Both sinned directly against Jesus, from whom they both followed for three years. They were both with Jesus all the time for three years. After Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus and Peter locked eyes. This would have, this, this sends chills up my spine thinking of this. Peter and Jesus locked eyes, and Peter remembered and was very sad. He cried bitterly. How do we know? Well, did Peter end up coming around? Do we know? Well, he wrote some of the Bible, right? I mean, like he was, yeah, he did. But how do we know at the time? How do we know that, that this, was this a true repentant cry, like when he cried bitterly? Or was this just a worldly, wish I hadn't been caught sort of cry? Right? At the time, at that moment, if you were to look at him, would you have been able to tell? Just looking at him. just He's out, he just denied Jesus three times. He gets called on it by, Jesus, by looking at Jesus in the eye and he starts weeping. At that moment, would you have known? I don't think so. We're just looking at a man crying who knows he's been, he's been caught. You've, he's been confronted with his offense. And he cried about it. So which was it? Was it a wish I hadn't been caught short of cry? Well, afterwards, Jesus does appear to him, and he does restore him. This is not the point of this story. He does restore him. But what mostly what, G, what Peter didn't do was what Judas did, right? When Judas was confronted with his sinful behavior, he also was very sorry. I, you, did you know that? I mean, he was actually very sorry that he had done this. He tried to give back the money. He tried to give back the silver. I mean, he wished that he hadn't done it anymore, right? He's like, oh, he was sorry. He really was. He was sorry. But instead, instead of repenting, right, instead of going to God, what did Judas do? He killed himself. The difference between Peter and Judas is what happened after, right? They were both confronted with their sin. Peter is restored by Christ, right? He faced Christ. Judas never got that opportunity because he killed himself. So the moral of the story is if you sin, don't go hang yourself, right? Which is true, but that's not the moral, right? The point of all this is that true believers repent. True believers repent. David repented. The Corinthians repented. Peter repented. Right? Christians repent all the time. When they're confronted with their sin, they repent. It's part of their sanctification. It's part of their life. This was part of the Corinthians' story as a believer. This is part of David's story as a believer. This is part of Peter's story as a believer. The story ended with this, with Judas, because he went and killed himself. He never repented. I do want to be clear about the difference between a Christian repenting and a non-Christian repenting. All of us at some point were unbelievers, right? All of us, some of us in here still are, but all of us at some point were unbelievers, non-followers of Christ. And if you are a Christian, it's because, 
If you're a Christian, it's because you believe God, that Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. You believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, the only perfect life, the one that we should have lived but fail at miserably. You believe that Jesus was crucified on the cross as the final and perfect sacrifice, which gives us access to God himself through Jesus himself. You believe that Jesus rose from the dead, conquered the grave, and is now at the right hand of God interceding for us and will one day come back to earth in all of his power, splendor, and glory and will collect his children, both alive and dead, and bring them into heaven to live with him forever. As a result of this belief, this faith, as a result of this, you repented. By that, I mean your bent which was formerly towards hell, is now towards Christ. While you were enemies of Christ, you are now his child, and you get to call God Abba. When you became a Christian, your trajectory, your direction, your hope became Christ. You turned 180 degrees from the path of destruction to the path of the eternal city. That's definitely a shout-out to the people in my class, the Pilgrim's Progress. Yes? You have placed your faith in Christ. You are now facing Christ. As a non-Christian, your hope is in yourself. This world, your belongings, your own abilities. Remember, when you are confronted with your sin, be quick to repent. Followers of Christ, do not repent. Listen, followers of Christ, Christians, do not repent to be saved. They repent because they are saved. Those that are not followers of Christ, they can't repent. Non-followers of Christ, non-Christians can't repent. Romans 8, 7 to 8 the mind governed by the flesh, can you can you quote this for me, Robbie? Can you quote this for me, Alyssa? Is is hostile to God. God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Read again. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. When a non-believer tries to repent this way, the way a Christian repents, it doesn't stick. When you aren't one of God's children, your bent is still the same. The path of destruction. You are still facing death and destruction away from God. When I was growing up, I went to Bethel Baptist Church in Concord. It's over there on Clayton Road. And my dad, he was a truck driver for, I don't even know, 30-something years. Uh, and one of his fellow truck drivers, and my dad's a Christian, and we went to, we, we went to Bethel Baptist Church from the time I was five until, I mean, they well, my mom and dad still go there. Um, a friend of his, a non-believer, my dad was you know, witnessing to him on a pretty regular basis. I mean, they're on the CB you know, radio thing, you know, and they're talking and, you know, I mean, and they're, you know, and he's witnessing to him and they're buddies. They actually kind of hang out outside of work sometimes and they would, you know, they'd go bowling and they would, you know. Well, I mean, 
My dad invited him to church lots of times. Eventually he comes. He comes to church for, I don't know, I mean, a month, two months, you know. And my goodness gracious, I mean, you guys don't know this, but I mean, in a Baptist church, at the end of every service, you know, the pastor gets up there at the end and he has an altar call, right? Where, I mean, like anybody who wants to, you know, become a Christian, they would walk down the aisle and talk to him and, and, and he would talk and he would either ask them what they've done to become a Christian or they would he would pray with them and maybe they would become one right here, right then, right? You know what I'm saying? Well, one day, after a month or two, Dave Kiefer, my dad's buddy, he walked down the aisle. I mean, like unprovoked. I mean, he just walked down the aisle. He was he was red-faced, tears in his eyes, and he walked down to the pastor, and the pastor put his arm over him, I mean, they were so excited. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Dave Kiefer, I mean, he's, he believes, you know, and he, he got up there, and oh, and he was so happy, and the pastor introduced him, to, I mean, he, a new believer, you know, I mean, it was, uh Did he truly repent? How would we know? How would we know if he truly repented? We were so happy. He walked down the aisle. He said a prayer. He asked God into his heart. Did he truly repent? How would we know? I'm asking. How would we know if he truly did? How would we know? No, but I mean... Over the, yeah, after that, for the next, you know, whatever, right? I mean, like, wouldn't we see that he had repented, right? Wouldn't we see the turn, right? Listen, this man, this grown man, this 40-year-old man, he was emotional. He was crying. He said all the right things. He was even baptized, like, the next week. He came to church every Sunday after that for three whole weeks. Three weeks. And then he never came back. He lives like a pagan now. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't pray. He, doesn't, he, he lives the way he used to. His trajectory, his direction, his bent is still towards hell. His repentance was simply a, his repentance was a swerve in his path. In the path of destruction, he swerved kind of towards the celestial city and he came right back to it. That was 35 years ago. Had Dave repented? No way. No way. He never repented. He never turned towards Christ. How do you know if you've repented? How do you know? How do you know if you're saved? How do you know what path you're on? What's your bent? Where are you headed? Are you on the path towards the eternal city? Heaven? Are you on the way? Do you repent of your sins when confronted with them? Remember, Christ, this is important. Remember, this is it. 
Christ did it all on that cross. But a Christian is constantly going to be revisiting, visiting and revisiting that cross. Constantly repenting, worshiping, relying on, putting their hope in what Jesus did, what Jesus did on that cross. That's, did you repent? Do you rely on that? Do you, do you, do you, do you face Christ, right? Or do you show you the fruit of that? Non-Christian, I implore you to repent. If you're not a Christian, you, there, you are not going to repent regularly. It wouldn't work anyway, right? It wouldn't work. Dave Kiefer, he repented like a pagan. He never took his eyes off the world. Right? It didn't work. You have to believe. You have to put your faith in Christ and what he did on that cross. Then you can repent that initial repentance and turn away from sin entirely and, and, and be free from its bondage. Right? That's that initial repentance. And then after that, after that, you can repent regularly, right? Now you can repent, and now you can. Now that you're on the path, you can get. You can constantly be repenting and getting back on the path, right? As you as you get distracted, as you you know, leave, you can constantly be back on the path. Non-Christian, repent of your sinful life, acknowledge your sinful nature, ask God to forgive you, accept that Christ died for you and your sins. Listen, this is the most important thing that you will ever do or not do, right? Whether you believe it or not. Christians, be quick to repent all the time, knowing that your repentance is lovely to God. God loves to forgive. A Christian's continuous repentance does not alter your standing before God. Christ's sacrifice took care of every sin, but your sanctification in Christ is a result of continual repentance in the Lord. Let me pray. Dearly Father, I thank you uh, again for this church, Lord. I thank you for all of the people that are here. I pray that uh, those that need to, that have not yet initially repented and turned from their sin and acknowledged you and you sending your son to die on the cross for their sins, that you would open their eyes, that you would open their heart, that you would soften their heart, that they would make that initial confession, that they would repent. And for those Christians that are in here, I pray that they would continually recalibrate and repent, continuously face you, face the cross, and that you are pleased when we do it. Pray that you would watch over us the rest of the evening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.